Hi, everyone. My name is Jay Howard, and you're listening to Making Cash, a podcast about the College of Arts, Social Sciences, and Humanities, or CASH. I like to talk to professors, graduates, and community members in Springfield, Missouri about their work. And today on the show, I'm delighted to be continuing our ongoing alumni series with none other than Tessa Cooper. Welcome to the show, Tessa. Hi, thanks for having me, Jay. I'm excited to be here. So, Tessa, you um, are an alum of Missouri State University. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about your educational background? So I studied public relations at Missouri State, and I got my bachelor's in that, graduated in 2016, and then I also minored in design as well. So yeah, both my major and my minor within the College of Arts and Letters. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so I loved studying at Missouri State, and you know, now that I'm doing mainly freelance writing, freelance journalism, photography, I've always kind of had the thought, oh, should I have picked a different major? But, you know, at the end of the day, I really feel like PR is actually the perfect major for a freelance writer because it's all about learning how to pitch yourself and form those relationships with the editors. So it's almost like I do act as a public relations professional, even though I'm not necessarily doing it for a client. I'm doing it more for myself. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So I just loved it. One of the things that I know we emphasize a lot in in public relations and in communication studies in general is like really keeping the audience foremost in mind Mm -hmm. and tailoring whatever the message is to the audience that is um, receiving it. And that brings up the question of who the audience is for the freelance pieces that you have been working on recently. Um, So what kind of publications does your writing and then also photography and, and other work Um, appear in? Yeah, so I write for 417 Magazine primarily. I do a lot of work with them. I actually, they were my first freelance client, so I've been freelancing for almost, I think, seven years now, and so they were one of the first ones I got, and I interned with them in college as well with their marketing team, so they've just been a really good rock-solid client for me. I've loved working with them. So I have a local audience there and I primarily do food writing, local food news. So that's kind of one audience I'm working with. And then I do also do some more national publications and outlets. So I work with uh, Apartment Therapy, which is an online blog and they do a lot with home. So I do house tours where I do photos and stories to go along with that. And a lot of times they are local Springfield homes, so it's really cool to get them on the map. Um, But I have done um, one, you know, in New York. I did a a fun home tour there. So occasionally when I'm traveling, I'll try to pitch, you know, uh, an apartment or a home where I'm going. And then I also write for The Spruce, which they're more of a national brand too. And they used to be about.com. So... uh, they uh, about really? com back in the day they okay. kind of switched and now they have a bunch of different websites so the spruce is like their home one and they're a lot of it is how to so i'm interviewing interior designers on uh, how many throw pillows you should put on a couch or you know how to arrange throw pillows on your bed how to make <laughs> knobs on a kitchen cabinet knobs and pulls so 
Is there any upper limit to the number of throw pillows that should be on a, <laughs> on a bed asking for a friend? The two interior designers I talked to, they're actually local ones, uh, they suggested uh, keeping it minimal and just having two Euro, Euro throws, like big squares, which I actually switched. I followed their advice. And then it hides your sleeping pillows because those never look good. <laughs> and, you know, they're always, you know, all smushed from having your head mm. on it at night. And then... In front of the two Euro pillows, they suggest putting um, one to two decorative pillows, like smaller, uh, so you okay. layer them. So just keeping okay. it simple. Yeah. Yeah, keeping it simple. That still adds up to like at least six total pillows. I know, though, I, I know, quite a bit. <laughs> I need to get a, a bench for the foot of my bed to put them all on. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this means we have we have so much cool stuff to talk about in terms of food and local um, Springfield establishments. And then, you know, I saw that on your your portfolio of writing, you've done you've done some writing that is categorized as travel writing, yeah. which is a cool genre. And then some is food writing and then some that could be categorized either way mm-hmm. is like travel food. Yeah, very light which is Ultimately, it's what I'm getting at is this is a dream job for like anyone who aspires to be a writer. It's a lot of fun. Um, You know, I do do a few non-glamorous writing gigs as well. Um, If I'm having a slower month, I have some clients that I can kind of pull from. So, for example, next month I took on... I always have like a monthly financial goal I want to reach. And so if it's looking like I'm not going to have a lot of assignments coming in, I uh, will reach out to uh, Healthline Media, which I I don't know if you've ever Googled, Googled an ailment, which I'm sure you have, like we all have. Uh, uh, yes, I try not to because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's usually definitely cancer. Exactly. Well, uh, Healthline Media is one of the major ones. And so... I will sometimes do nutrition writing for them. So food, like what kind of, so it's still kind of tied into the food and occasionally it won't be food related, but it's just nice to have that stability um, as a freelancer. I am working towards not having to do so many medical articles because it's definitely not my specialty. Uh, A doctor always looks it over, so don't worry. (laughs) But, you know, it's a lot of reading really boring uh, medical white papers because we have to use all primary sources so it's basically putting it into layman's terms is where the freelance writers come in which you know even though it's not my specialty i really enjoy putting complicated things into you know easy to understand terms so occasionally i do do that medical writing whenever i'm having a slower month so it's nice to have that on the back burner very cool and so it sounds like you have, yeah, enough different um, pools to draw from yeah. to keep yourself fully busy. I've, you know, in the past I've ran into a lot of, I've gotten into some situations where it's like, I'll see at the end of the year that one client makes up half of my income. And, uh, you know, we could get into a whole different conversation with chat GPT uh, and everything. Oh, Cause yeah. one of my clients started uh, experimenting with their own AI uh, and uh, ended up kind of letting go a lot of freelance writers. So kind of since then, I I've, I've realized if I want to continue this path, I need to, you need to be a specialist in your field and position yourself as an expert. So kind of niche down. So that's why I'm kind of doing um, interior design, food, lifestyle, moving that direction and doing more stories where I'm having to interview experts because an, I know an AI could never really do that. 
you know, trying to focus more on those skills that only a human could do. And only a human could really like taste local food and write about it. <laughs> I don't think an AI could ever do that. So uh, yeah, it's been um, lots of ebbs and flows in this field since I've been in. And then it's just nice to have that photography as a revenue stream too. I really love doing it. And uh, I work with the several local interior designers and they have me on rotation when they finish a project. So I, I just really love that as well. Um, I love that phrase, niche down. Um, mm -hmm. It's not like a good name for a podcast um, if I had a <laughs> yeah. side gig going here. But, and yeah, I agree. Um, Chatbots can't, can't taste food yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can hallucinate it, I guess. But yeah. I think this is neither here nor there, but I, I've heard that phrase hallucinate used a yes. lot to describe when chatbots make stuff up. And even that term, I feel like, is too anthropomorphizing because a hallucination is an internal experience mm -hmm. of a of a false reality. And chatbots, so far as so far, I don't have internal experiences. Exactly. <laughs> reading what they're doing, but um, another cool thing about what you're describing as a um, freelancer is, and I had this question in my mind as I was reviewing your work, like. A lot of times if you're a staff writer at a particular place, you're assigned, like mm -hmm. you, you might not have as much choice over the topics that you pick. So do you do you get to, to pitch these ideas or, or do they send them your way or, I, or a little bit of both? Yeah, I do about 50-50. I am kind of an odd freelance writer in the fact that a lot of mine are getting assigned because I have found in the past that just the, especially if you're when you're trying to work with national brands or publications, they often have already know what they want to write about because of SEO and their budgets are so tight these days so that if people aren't Googling these topics, then they have less of a budget to assign it to a freelance writer I've found. Oh, and okay. uh, so I do, I do a mix, but with the spruce, it's really nice because I'm guaranteed eight articles every month and she gives them to me. I am welcome to pitch ideas to her, she said. But it's nice because it kind of takes out the grunt work there. But with Absolutely. 417 Magazine, I do a lot of pitching for the food. Uh, every month I'm responsible for choosing what we cover. And I also do a weekly food newsletter called Table Talk for 417. So every uh, Monday I write about the food news going on and I'm responsible for finding the majority of what we cover. Uh, my editor, Katie, though, is really awesome about sending me good ideas. So. Uh, it, it's helpful to have a mix for sure of me, you know, picking what I'm writing and also an editor giving me some ideas. Very cool. Um, so the newsletter is called Tabletop? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Table Talk. Yeah. Table Talk. Yeah. And is it it's subscriber only for 417 uh, Magazine? It's free to subscribe. So anyone can subscribe. And uh, you just have to uh, okay. put in your email and you get to pick which newsletters you want. They also have Shop Talk, you know, event book, different ones that are different topics. So I write the food one. Cool. I'll, um, I'll find a link to that subscription page and put it in the show notes yeah. in case listeners are interested. I, I love food writing as, and travel writing as well. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hopeless when it comes to interior design. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> a previous guest on the podcast, um, Jack Diamond, who is the oh, yeah. advisor for The Standard, was talking, uh, he was extolling the virtues of newsletters mm -hmm. being um, sort of the last bastion of non-algorithmic 
uh, information where it's like it, it comes to you in your email inbox, which you see in the order it was received, mm -hmm. rather than people like grabbing it and pulling it up or, or deprioritizing it, you know. So I, I've taken that very seriously, and I've subscribed to half a dozen newsletters uh, yeah. since since he since he brought that to my attention. It's great. I actually wanted to mention I wrote in some notes because I wanted to give a little shout out to a few teachers that I had and. Uh, you know, the things that I've taken with me in my career. And Jack was one I wanted to mention. I had a few classes with him and I wrote for the standard for a bit. And I definitely wouldn't be the writer that I am today if it weren't for Jack, because he would sit down with me and, you know, go over each sentence I wrote. He would take the time and uh, sentence by sentence kind of tell me what I could do to improve it or why it was a good sentence and the flow of everything. Oh, wow. But one thing that I really love that I haven't ever seen, I, I even wondered if Jack got this theme from someone else because I've Googled it, but he would call, uh, you know, fluff in a sentence, he would call it word fat. And oh. he would tell me to like trim down word fat. So a lot of times there's certain words if the sentence can make sense without that word, it might be word fat. You might not need that word, especially whenever you're working in print when you're so limited on your words. Mm. He, you really have to figure out what to cut. So I, I always look for what I call word fat. You know, some common words that you don't need, you don't always need the word that in a sentence. So I always try to question if I'm using the word that. Uh, I try to question, does it really need to be there? And uh, another piece of writing advice that always stuck with me was from Dr. Dyer. And one thing that I, I always hear his voice in my head whenever I'm uh, starting a sentence with it or using the word it, because he would always ask me, what is it? <laughs> you know, for your writer or when you, for your readers, you need to be sure you're being really clear. And so mm -hmm. sometimes the word it is really vague and it, unclear antecedent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, another th another person I wanted to talk about was Jerry Lynn Kyle, too, because she was just so wonderful. Um, I think she really taught me the importance of having uh, good relationships with PR people and forming relationships with editors. And one thing she would always say that stuck with me was PR will take you where your heart is. And so oh. I just love that it was such a broad major that could really lead you to whatever your passion is. So she was a big inspiration. I still meet with her regularly and yeah, good resource and very connected in the community. I love her. Absolutely. Yeah. All of those people you mentioned are an inspiration to me as well. Um, Jerry Lynn Kyle was just um, like taking a, taking classes. Um, I can't remember exactly what some, some sort of training or certification class for some Something about whether I can't remember even whether it was a Google Docs or Twitter or something. She's learning stuff I didn't even know was possible to learn. Mm -hmm. And so the whole the inspiration of just being a lifelong learner and having a continuous openness to experience yeah. and take in new things is so important. And even um, my design minor, because this podcast involves the arts as well. So I really enjoyed having Cole Klosser as a professor. He's um, one of the design teachers and illustration teachers. And one thing that I think we need more of in this world is people respecting other people's ideas and not copying them. <laughs> and he was really good about that. One thing he always said is, if it's a maybe, it's a no. Whenever you're thinking about, is my design or is this, um, you know, it even applies to my writing. Is this sentence too similar to this 
other writer's sentence? Or is um, this design, did I pull too much from this other designer? And, Hmm. you know, if you think maybe I did, then it's a no and you should change it. So I, I thought that was always really good advice. And while I don't use a lot of design in my career anymore, I, I did originally, when I first started out, offer more uh, graphic design services, but I, it's nice because I was able to do all my own branding, having the design background, and it taught me how to use Photoshop. Photoshop. And I also had to take some photography classes with that minor, with Gwen, she was really wonderful. And I loved working in the dark room at Missouri State. So yeah, again, even though I'm not doing exactly public relations anymore or graphic design, those majors and minors were so broad enough that I, you know, it was such a good place to start and it helped it. I used those skills in my career every day. Good. That's, that's great to hear. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The whole idea of, of the major will take you where your heart is. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that because it's still scary. I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the place of, a, of an undergraduate student, maybe a freshman. Those are the type of people I work with in um, advising, academic advising. And you have to have faith in yourself that you're, you will discover what your passion is eventually, mm-hmm. you know, because a person um, at that age might not know yet. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's very young to have to decide what you're going to do forever. <laughs> yeah. I actually started out in um, nonprofit PR. So when I graduated, I got my first job at Ozark's Food Harvest. And okay. it was really wonderful because I also worked under Christine Temple, who is the editor of SBJ now. So Business Journal? Yeah, uh-huh. that was where I really figured out that writing and photography were my two favorite aspects of public relations because uh, working in public relations at a nonprofit, of course you have to wear many hats. And so I kind of got to try a little bit of everything. And then I started just freelance. I always knew I wanted to freelance full-time someday because I remember kind of having that realization whenever um, I was interning at 417 Magazine in college, I was interning over the summer and I realized, oh, like I, I will be in an office in the summers. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I realized my husband, or he was my boyfriend at the time. I was like, he will be a teacher because he, he's a music teacher, a choir teacher. And I was like, he will have summers off. So I realized, oh, I think I want a job that I could have some more flexibility and granted, I definitely don't have summers off, probably never will, <laughs> but <laughs> it's nice because I can work more half days in the summer. And even though um, I am working, I get to do it from home while and be around Chandler in the summers, which is fun. And yeah. But yeah, I just started freelancing on the side initially, and 417 was my first client, and then I wrote for Feast, uh, Feast Magazine, which uh, no longer covers Springfield, but I was their Springfield editor for about a year, oh. and I contributed to them for about two years. So that was where I kind of really honed my food photography and food writing, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I miss those feast days, but I'm excited that I get to still do food writing with 417. Feast days. Yeah. Love feast days. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I still see it in print and like 
the barbershop and stuff. What does it focus maybe on? Maybe an that? old copy just lingering yeah. out there, but they just do St. Louis now. They don't do Kansas City or Springfield. Hmm. And I think that it's just an insert. You know, I think the pandemic was really hard on the restaurant industry. And yeah. uh, with that being the majority of advertisers, I can only speculate. But, you know, it. I'm really glad Feast still exists in St. Louis. It's fun to see it around there. Before we dive into to food, I wanted to ask um, a travel question and then also a question about home yeah because you mentioned um being able to work from home and having more flexibility mm -hmm. and stuff so the travel question one of your um one of your stories was like a, a caffeinated guide to coffee at, in like charleston mm -hmm. uh, which is i feel like one of the examples i was referring to earlier of travel writing food writing mm -hmm. um did were you were you assigned to that where they're like tessa go to <laughs> Carolina and drink coffee. That was actually oh. one that I did pitch. So a lot of nice. times when I'm traveling, I love to tie in uh, a story because then it's a really good tax write-off. <laughs> you know, you can write <laughs> off a portion of the trip if you if your primary purpose is, you know, to do a story. So a lot of times I thinking. will try to make them overlap. And that one was really fun because my friend Audrey, who's from Springfield, moved to Charleston and has lived there for quite a while. And she works in the coffee industry, so she just knows a lot of food and beverage people. So that one was fun. We, it was Chandler and I and a couple other friends, and Audrey took us on a food tour of Charleston just for the day. So wow. I found that when you do travel writing, you one way to really get the attention of an editor is to go at it from a local's perspective. So... Uh, why me as a tourist? Why would I be the best person to tell you where to eat in Charleston? You know, you honestly need a local with good taste uh, to mm, absolutely. show you around. So I've kind of found that in the really competitive travel writing market, that's a good edge if you're able to find yeah. a local to be your source and, and pick the things for you. So A local with good taste yeah. paired with a writer who cares about sentences. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that was a fun one to write. I uh, just kind of dabble in the travel writing. It's fun. Uh, and I love mm -hmm. just having my camera out all the time. It's one of my favorite hobbies is just travel photography. Writing and, and photography wherever you go strikes me as just a great way to to experience wherever you are, mm -hmm. to make sure that you're really plugged in and noticing the details and savoring yeah. the things that life has to to offer. I love that you said that because sometimes people will, you know, be like, or some people feel like when they're taking a photo, they're not actually being present. Like they're, they're mm. worried about like, you know, you have your cell phone out and maybe you're at a concert or something. It's like, oh, am I really experiencing this concert if I'm taking pictures? But for me, when I'm traveling, I just can't imagine not having my camera with me. It makes me sad when I see something beautiful and I don't have my camera. I actually have had nightmares where I've like been traveling somewhere and I don't have my camera or I wake <laughs> up and I'm so sad that's not a real photo that I have. <laughs> I'll, oh, wow. I'll take a photo in my dream and then, you know, I'm like, oh man, I don't have that. But yeah, it, it just, it feel like it does make me more present and it does make me notice the small details. You know, when I'm walking the streets of Paris and you see a small sign, uh, just like beautiful house numbers, even, 
I'll take a little picture of it. And then I, what's funny is a little detail like that, you never know what it will spark because I ended up finding house numbers for my house that looked like some ones that I saw abroad. So it's, okay. yeah, it's just, nice. it, makes, it does make you more uh, yeah. notice the details. Well, the house numbers can certainly transition us to the house, yeah. but yeah, I I think I think it can be a distraction depending on how people, you know, how where people's state of mind is. Mm-hmm. But it can also be a tool for enhancing memory and enhancing the moment yeah. as well. And and certainly, if you're intentional about taking the photos, like as you've described, you know that that sounds like the best of all best of all worlds. Mm-hmm. So house numbers, I know I know from your bylines that you are. You're interested in interior design as well as architecture, uh, different architectural periods. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about these house numbers you oh, mentioned. Yeah. Are these like digits in a certain typeface or font that yeah. were vintage? Or... They're actually, so I always love the little house numbers you see in Paris or, yeah, Paris in particular, they're blue and white. And then ones that you see in Italy, they're a lot of times uh, made from clay and just glazed really pretty. So I found some on Etsy uh, that my, okay. my mom bought them for a housewarming gift for me. But they're made in Italy, but they kind of look a little bit more of the French white and blue. So they're the perfect combination. And yeah, it's just a little detail that I am really happy we have on the house. And now I think of my mom every time I see them. So. Oh, that's yeah. great. So which neighborhood of Springfield do you currently live in? Yeah, so I live in the Midtown neighborhood near Drury University. And nice. I just love it. We, my husband and I bought this house in uh, September, 2021. And then we renovated it for a year because it was um, just, it had so much damage and was it was down to the studs when we got it. And then it took a year. Well, completely making it livable, putting all new plumbing, all new wiring, but still keeping those historic details like the floors, the trim, the stained glass. Uh, We were able to keep all the good that it still had, but just make it new and still honor the old style. You know, we put in all old doors, all of that. So we love it here and we love Midtown. Victorian home in in Midtown. Did I see on social media some time ago, there was like a, you found a bunch of broken plates or shards of colorful glass and ceramics in the yard. Is that right? We were digging for a privacy fence and the contractor thought that he maybe had hit an old clay pipe or something. And then I looked uh, in it and I was like, that looks like a floral pattern. And it was an old broken teacup and then I even found uh, a little tiny porcelain baby doll uh, okay. it, that said made in Germany on it and some of the pieces said 1914 so uh, you know we either came across an old burn pile or a uh, you know sometimes from my research I think European immigrants would use pieces of broken pottery as uh, kind of like a compost to help drainage and clay soil. And the soil here is really clay-like, so that could have been what it was. But it's just, it was really fun finding those pieces because you realize, um, you get to learn a little bit about the previous owner 
and what they liked, you know, what was their taste like and, you know, how they may have been sad when these things broke. These were their prized Mm. pieces. And so it was a really fun experience. I actually wrote about it for 417 Home. So, oh, very nice. Yeah, there's... Did you save the pieces? Were you able to make any sort of mosaics with them or yes, anything like that? I um, am looking for a little uh, shadow box. I want to display them okay. in a shadow box. And then with some of them, I might make like a memory jug. Uh, the, it's a, a jug with cement, kind of like mosaic piece. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I've even seen some artists make jewelry out of the pieces. I might do that with some of them. Uh, we've just had so many house projects that I haven't had time to do anything cool with <laughs> with those things, but yeah. Let's dive into food. And, you know, you have your ear to the ground um, with reference to, you know, restaurants, being a lifestyle reporter and writer. Um, and I eat a lot of food in Springfield. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, and, and also I know that this is a topic that is near and dear to the hearts of probably any listener. Yes. And so um, it, com- it came to my attention. I know that this episode will air sometime later than it's recorded, but um, 417 is just starting rumblings about their best of 2024 um, mm-hmm. ballot for like, you know, best this, best that throughout the um, the Ozarks and 417 land specifically. And um, so I wanted to get your take on, um, I know I won't put you on the spot to ask you like your number one favorite of all time. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I noticed that the ballot doesn't ask us to do that either. It just says like select any that would be in your top five. Mm-hmm. And so um, that still doesn't narrow it down too much because, you know, I, I've heard it said some time ago, I don't know if this is still still true, but that Springfield is a special place for restaurants mm-hmm. to some extent because of it, this the test market that it provides um, before places try to go elsewhere or, or launch um, franchises yeah. and so on. It's like a proof of concept. If you can survive here, then you can survive anywhere. Yes, I've heard that too. And so we do. We get a whole lot of different types of restaurants, although, you know, we are not as big as a St. Louis or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Still very proud of our city and the food scene we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, I can screen share the ballot itself. Yeah, and I probably uh, I will probably even have some that aren't on the ballot. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, there. Um, I did help make the ballot. I I offered some info in on that, but yeah, there's nice. even like some that aren't on the ballot that I would pick as my favorite. Yay, a true insider. Yeah. Um, let's see. Did this, did that work? Yes, I see it. Cool. So our first category is best fine dining restaurant in Springfield. Um, I have two favorites on this list. Yeah. Um, The Ozark Mill. I love the Ozark Mill. uh, Chef Kevin Corman is just so talented. And that would definitely be my favorite, my current favorite. And then I also love the order at Hotel Vandevoort. Ah, nice. Hard to beat the order, but is it on here? Yeah, uh-huh. They were the last two. Oh, okay, excellent. Yeah. Amber and I just tried out Char Steakhouse and Oyster Bar. Mm-hmm. Another and, good one. Um, so I love that one. That's definitely going to be in my my top five. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, and Harvest is so good. That would actually also 
rink for me. Uh, I just went to their dinner in the orchard this past weekend with some friends, Ooh. and that's just a really fun Springfield event. And another amazing Springfield event is the, well, I guess it's technically Ozark. Uh, Ozark Mill puts on dinner on the bridge, so they close off the historic Finley River Bridge, and and then uh, you dine on it, and it's just one of the most magical events I've ever been to in Springfield. It's, you know, being there as the sun's setting Absolutely. over the waters of the Finley. So I would highly suggest attending one of those. They um, do them seasonally in the nice season weathers. Is um. Is Ozark Mill the one that has like a lower level as well that you enter through yes. like a speakeasy sort of secret mm-hmm. entrance? Uh, that's one of my favorite places in all of Springfield, the garrison. And they give you a little password <laughs> yes. before you can go in. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's so fun. Yeah. It's just decorated so well too. And so I love it when a restaurant's atmosphere matches the quality of the food. For me, that's mm. like the ex- part of the beauty of eating out is or going to a nice dinner is being in a beautiful place while I'm enjoying wonderful food. So the, and the garrison and the Ozark mill, same building, different, yes, mm-hmm. different um, garrison, branding. I, yeah, I actually got to write a little bit about their history and their cocktail descriptions. Okay. Uh, and so when you open the menu, I wrote some of those and that was a lot of fun. So I know a lot about Howard Garrison now, who the Garrison's named after. <laughs> I know. I He was um, th- the original owner of the Riverside Inn restaurant in Ozark, which was a beloved restaurant that operated, you know, for quite a few years, even during Prohibition. Hmm. And they would serve alcohol during Prohibition and let people gamble. And rumor has it that Howard Garrison uh accidentally served the attorney general the some alcohol (laughs) and that's how he got caught and um whenever you walk into the garrison the painting and the entrance it says the view from my jail cell because howard garrison was also a painter so he painted the view of his jail cell (laughs) that's great neat because the garrison has different decor pieces that was at the Riverside Inn, such as like the old ornate French mirror and the fireplace mantle. So it's just a fun little local history lesson when you go there as well. Very cool. I can't wait to go there again. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. The fine dining restaurants, something that people maybe do few and far between um, on special occasions. Mm -hmm. Um, But the next category is something somewhere we, you know, we all eat lunch every day. So Best five places for lunch, mm-hmm. or I should say, best place for lunch. Um, uh, Derby Deli is my top pick. I love it. Where it, is that? So that's in the Brown Derby Wine Center. Oh. And oh. it's just one of my favorite gems in town. I My favorite thing to order is the uh, Parisian Ron style. It really taste a lot like an actual sandwich you would get in Paris and they use president's butter on it okay. which is a french butter made in normandy so and, and the normandy butter is just so good so it's so creamy and then they put rosemary ham on it and um i believe there's some type of cheese on it and then the baguette is just amazing that they serve it on so Definitely could go for one of those right now. Yeah, me too. Man, I am glad that I am taking notes on this conversation. Yeah. Uh, a lot of homework. 
Yes. Tea Bar and Bites is also just really nostalgic for me. I grew up going there and I, I love it. And it's just, I think such an amazing feat to have been open for so long. I want to say 20 years. Don't quote me on that, but they've just been open so long. And, um, I just think, you know, it really shows a testament of what a good business it is. Yep. Yeah, what, what they're what they're doing, they're doing well, and now mm-hmm. they're only benefited by that whole cherry picker corner yeah, sort of exploding. Exactly. So that's great. Mm-hmm. And we, we were talking about neighborhoods earlier with uh, Midtown, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I live in West Central, and um, you mentioned Roundtree and and others. Uh, so the next category that we have is best neighborhood restaurant. Your thoughts? Yeah, uh, well, I feel like a traitor because I'm not going to say one on Commercial Street since I, I do love walking to C Street and going to those places, though. But I do have to say T-Bar and Bites Bakery and Cafe. Uh, I love that one. Real but, loyalist there. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm actually really excited because I don't know if you know much about the Boyd Project that's going on in Midtown. So no. the old Boyd Elementary, which was built in 1914, uh, a developer has bought it and I'm really excited about what he's doing. So he is wanting to keep as, as much history as possible, leave the outside looking the same. And the top will be lofts and they, he wants to keep a lot of the original features like the, the flooring, which is beautiful and the doors. And then on the bottom level, he wants to have a walk-up coffee shop and a restaurant. Oh, wow. So I am just so excited for that because I really think it could position us to have our own little neighborhood meeting place and, I just have these dreams of walking for coffee with my friends in the neighborhood. And uh, yeah, so hopefully someday that will be my favorite neighborhood restaurant. (laughs) We'll have to keep an eye on that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's something close to, I'm sure, both of our hearts, uh, given, you know, what you're just talking about Mm -hmm. with dreams of uh, getting coffee with friends in your your own neighborhood. This category is sweet and cozy morning stops. Oh, man, <laughs> I think I'm in my Finley Farms era because I'm choosing another <laughs> Finley Farms. The workshop at Finley Farms okay. is, oh, I love going there. I love in the summer whenever Chandler has off. Sometimes I'll go work from that coffee shop. We'll drive to Ozark and he'll read a book or do some you know, planning for the school year. And I just feel so happy when I'm there. <laughs> and I really feel like their seasonal drinks are some of the best in town because they're never too sweet and you can actually taste what flavor it is. You know, sometimes you get a seasonal drink and it's, you just taste like sugar (laughs) and, uh, this it's like, Oh, I can actually taste the ginger in this latte. Hmm. And yeah, it's, it's so good. Nice. And then, yeah. Oh, and then rise is also on there. Yep. That was going to be my vote. I think that is, would definitely be one of my votes to, I think this one, you do have to pick one. I don't honestly remember which, maybe mm-hmm. I did rise for this one so I could uh, spread the love a little. Because uh, I, I was allowed to vote, which I was excited about. I I ran that through my with my editor. and But rise is so good. So the owners are from Moldova, which is right outside of Ukraine. They're just so great at baking and everything is made from scratch there. When I say everything, like the mayo is made from scratch. They make, they put their own probiotics and yogurt to make the yogurt. Hmm. And uh, it's, it's so good. Uh, And it's also owned by the same people who owned European cafe, which is one of my all time favorite places in Springfield. Yeah. I I had heard that. And um, since those two like buildings are basically adjacent to each other, 
So that makes sense. Um, or a European cafe is just, just down the street from Rise. Yeah. But um, as a downtown person, um, I live with an easy walking distance of downtown. I think I'm biased in the direction of whatever I can get to on foot. So mm-hmm. fan, yeah. of, fan of Rise for that reason. But um, I'm not seeing Rise even on the, the list for best place for breakfast. Yeah, yeah. So I think I, if I remember right, I did vote for them for Cozy Morning Stop. Nice. Um, when it comes to breakfast, so the only reason I wouldn't vote Gailey's is because whenever I want to go to Gailey's for breakfast on like a Saturday morning or something, I either, I have, I either have to wait an hour and a half to get in. Uh, and when that happens, I just go across the street to the order. Um, yeah. And they also have a perfectly serviceable breakfast. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah, and I uh, I really love Druffs. I mm. don't go there for breakfast so much, but I see that on the list. They have breakfast bowls, yeah. Yeah, I I usually go there for lunch. Although, Vance, if you're listening, I'm very sad that you took off my favorite sandwich off the menu, <laughs> the Uncle Tatey. Oh, no. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a... Um, Bring it back. <laughs> that's a Druffs favorite. I know. The next category is brunch, and anyone who knows me knows that uh, my problem with brunch is that it's either it's either lazy breakfast or lunch. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's such a thing as brunch, but I think I'm a minority in in this uh, in this debate. <laughs> For brunch, I actually might put Van Gogh's, even though it's not on here. I think Van Gogh's maybe made some other option, but I love Van Gogh's for brunch and Rise obviously uh, is um, they have really great lunch options as well at Rise. Mm-hmm. So that's those would be my picks, and obviously the order's great. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, um, I'm with the steaks places. I haven't eaten at like hardly any of these places. Yeah, I'm not a big steak. So. Per- I do love steaks, but I usually don't order it when I'm out. Yeah. All right. Uh, best burgers. I was sad to see um, Five Guys isn't on here. Maybe that's too Cheney. I don't know. But yeah. they have the best burgers of all time, in my opinion. They're so good. I would pick Lindbergh's. It's another good neighborhood spot. You know, so good. On the topic of Lindbergh's, I was just extolling their virtues of their, um, I think it's like cashew chicken poutine. Ooh. One of my favorite dishes of all time, any any restaurant, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't think of anything that's like more Springfield either. Yes, um, exactly. Even though all of that is borrowed from the other cuisines. Um, so next up, we have sandwiches and pizza. Those are two different categories. Perfect. Um, so, yeah. Well, Derby Deli, obviously, the sandwich I mentioned earlier, the mm. Parisian, Ron Style is my favorite. But also Jay Perino's is great. Yeah, okay. he has um, Italian roots. And I think he used to have uh, another restaurant, perhaps in St. Louis. I could be wrong about that. It's been a while since I interviewed him. But yeah, Jay Perino's. You can also get um, shaved deli meat there to make them uh, at your own home. Oh, nice. Oh, Ooh, I can't believe I forgot to say sandwich scene. Yeah, I, that's definitely what I voted for was sandwich scene. Yeah, there's a special place in my heart for sandwich scene. I. I've eaten there so many times, got a different sandwich each time, and it's never not been amazing. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, the sandwich scene is so good. And he cooks all his meats um, sous vide style. So it's kind wow. of a neat technique. Um, it's where you put it, like, put it 
in a bag and then in a mm -hmm. boiling or in hot water. Yes, exactly. That's awesome. Um, and, and the sandwich scene is where Whistler's Hamburgers used to be, mm -hmm. um, which is a place I used to work. Oh, so I, I think that. it's part of my emotional attachment to yeah. it as well. Now, pizza, something mm -hmm. we could talk about forever, probably. Yeah, my favorite didn't make the ballot this year. Um, oh, no. What was your favorite? Therefore, pizza. So good. It operates oh, yeah. as a pop-up in Prairie Pie. At a and, Prairie you know, Pie. It's just yeah. a pop-up. You know, we just have so many other pizza places to choose from. And yeah, but I just really love Therefore pizza. So good. They use the tiny little pepperonis. You know, I don't order the pepperoni a whole lot, so I can't remember. But I think, so I'm going to say it wrong, but Sifone pizza... He, uh, I think I'm saying it wrong. It's a traditional Sicilian style and he serves it in the winter because it's kind of, you know, in Sicily, it's served in the winter as a comfort food, but it is so okay. good. He makes the sauce with, um, I believe there might be anchovies in it, which is so good. Um, I'm the type <laughs> of person that when I think about the fact that there's anchovies in a dish, I don't like it as much. Like my head gets in the way. <laughs> but, uh, I, that never happens with his pizza. It's so good. Which one of these uh, on the list got your vote? Uh, I think the big slice. I really... Same. Yeah. I love... I, I know he imports his flour from really? Italy, I believe. So it's just really good for you. The You know, less gluten in it. It's so good. It's kind of um, New Yorkish style. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a couple locations, both in convenient places, both in yeah. convenient places for me. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So next up... Best Chinese food. Oh, yeah. The com the competition is fierce. It is. What do you think? Uh, my favorite didn't make the list this year. Um, oh, no. So I, I think that only happened with two of them. But Cashew Station is my favorite. Uh, I grew up. It also might be, you know, I have a little bit of an emotional attachment to it because I grew up down the street from them. And I got to do a story for, um, for Feast about them. And they're from Vietnam, so they immigrated here, and a lot of the uh, menu items are actually kind of have some Vietnamese influence, so you can get bao buns there. Okay. And uh, the sweet buns, I don't think technically are on the menu, but you can order them. I love, it's kind of a secret menu item. I love them. And they hand make everything, so... A, there's always rumors that some Chinese places in town might serve you frozen um, crab rangoons or egg rolls. And ever since I heard that rumor, I kind of have to wonder if it might be true because an egg roll always tastes the same at a lot of places. And sure. Crab rangoons sure. taste the same. But the Lu's, that's the family who owns Cashew Station, they do make everything by hand. And so they, mm. you can see the difference in the crab rangoons. They're just so delicately folded and oh, they're amazing. Nice. I think it's cool that you um, know, know so many of the stories behind these institutions. Yeah. And the, and the people behind them. Mm -hmm. All right. Next up is a very exciting category. Mm -hmm. Best cocktail menu. Ooh, hands down. I, well, might be, might be tied. So... The Royal is my personal favorite. So BJ, the owner, is just so talented. Like, he's a really talented mixologist and very humble about it. And I know he's learned a lot from other industry people as well. So he'll always try to say, oh, well, I learned from them or they give me ideas. But one of my favorite cocktails that BJ does is 
his barrel aged cocktails. So he will um, barrel age a batch of Negroni or maybe like a Manhattan for three months in a char lined barrel. And so the flavors just really marry together and develop this smoky flavor. And he does these like limited, limited edition runs because the barrels aren't very big. They're pretty small barrels. Mm. So I just love whenever I can get my hands on one of his barrel aged uh, cocktails. They're so good. And then um, I'm a huge fan of anything Rogan does over at Golden Girl Rum Club. And one really neat thing that he's been doing lately is they just, uh, so Good Spirits and Company is who owns the Golden Girl Rum Club. And they also own Best of Luck Beer Hall and they co-own Cherry Picker with the Coffee Ethic. Hmm. But Good Spirits now has a headquarters in Roundtree and it's just this beautifully designed space. Uh, um, just one of the best, like prettiest bar setups in Springfield. And while it's really their headquarters and they use it primarily for training their staff and taking meetings, they are doing pop-ups monthly. So I really suggest attending one of those. It's just such a phenomenal experience. And I feel like Rogan really gets to be creative with the cocktail menu because it's not something that, you know, is necessarily always to please people. And you you know what I mean? When you make a menu at a bar that you're going to have to be serving day to day. You need things that people are going to want to buy and drink and entice them. But I feel like when it's a pop-up situation, you can take a little more risk because you're not committed to those drink serving those drinks every day. So I just really had a lot of fun at my first pop-up there. So That's such a good point. I, I remember looking into that or when I was researching food trucks, mm-hmm. um, food trucks are very subject to that. But I know it's true for all restaurants where it's like, if it doesn't sell, it's it can't stay on the menu, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so everything has to be a crowd pleaser, lowest common denominator type thing. Exactly. Um, but yeah, when you can find something that has broken out of that a little bit. Um, so if I wanted to go to one of these pop-ups, what would I search for? What are they called again? And where are they? Good Spirits & Co. And you could follow them on Instagram and... They do monthly cocktail pop-ups and then also special events. And I would recommend definitely making a reservation if you attend one of the pop-ups because since it's only open once a month, they're open like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Seeds are pretty limited. So and okay. one cool thing is they have a secret bar menu or if you opt to drink or eat at the bar. Uh, Rogan has a special set of drinks that you can only order if you're sitting at the bar. Which That's is awesome. Cool, so they're exclusive. I tried to get one when I wasn't sitting at the bar and yeah, didn't work. <laughs> you were like, do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm gonna... <laughs> uh... Yeah, I hope whatever they're doing with, with, you said, Golden Girl, Best of Luck, mm-hmm. uh, Cherry Picker, I hope they just copy paste that sort of vibe forever. I know. Um, if, if they open open up more places we're, and more, we're so lucky to have them investing in the community. Yeah. But coffee. Yeah, I definitely want to do coffee. Mm-hmm. So I was just at Architect recently. I was at Coffee Ethic mm-hmm. this morning. Mudhouse is my second home. So I, I have a, I have like half a dozen different. Yeah, halfway filled out punch cards from Dancing Mule, so it's very hard for <laughs> I me to you pick. You can guess which one's my favorite because you see, it's where you see me at. <laughs> it's got to be the coffee. I think, yes, yeah. you're right. Um, and I, yeah, I just love uh, Michelle, the owner. She's one of my neighbor. She's one of my neighbors, and oh, great! 
she is just so great at what she does and runs that business really well. But the coffee ethic, for sure. I get their coffee subscription. Uh, I got a little espresso machine, and I love getting it delivered to my door. And the baristas are always really kind and and cheerful when you're there. So I like it. Very cool. Well, um, let's... I, I guess a good one to end on here would be best patio. Yeah. Um, the other great thing about the patio category is all of the things can be rolled in together, yeah. whether it's a restaurant or a bar or um, a brewery um, or a tea bar, as the case yeah. may be. As long as you've got a patio, mm-hmm. you can be on the, on the ballot. I would say my personal favorite is Cherry Picker Package and Fair because... You know, when I'm there, I just know I'm going to see people I know. And so I like going there and, you know, if it's ever a day since I work from home by myself, if I just need to be around people, I either go to the Coffee Ethic or Cherry Picker. And if it's a nice day, I love Cherry Picker. And one of, like, my all-time favorite events is Rosé Day in the summer. It's like, it should be a local holiday. It really should. (laughs) It's just, you see, I see so many people I know, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I got a shout out um, for my favorite patio right now, anyway, is Wire Road. I go down there a lot, uh, in part because there's a, a chess club there that I like. Shout out for um, Checkmate Monday with Andy. Um, and their backyard it just is infinite. Like, it just goes on forever. They have, like, basically a meadow full of trees and stuff that you can go and uh, have food from one of the, the like two or three food trucks that they're always doing there and it was really good I'm beer. embarrassed to say I've never been but what's nice is 417 allows me a little bit of a food research budget which is fun so maybe I'll need to spend some of that and this is a dream job yeah it's really fun I love it so maybe I will have to make my way there and try it out for research <laughs> that's awesome Thanks for listening to this episode of Making Cash. You can always contact me directly with comments and suggestions. Please tell your friends about the Making Cash podcast. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Making Cash. And remember, we're not in it for the money. 